some of us are, are new here for the first time, and I want to tell you that this is one of those messages where if you have ears to hear the truth, what God's Word teaches us, then you're going to love this message. Uh, it could change your prayer life forever. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be amazing that you would hear a message that would change your prayer life forever? And it's not because it's what I say or how I say it. It has nothing to do with me. It's God's Word. God's Word doesn't just inform you. It transforms you. It changes you. So, amen. Uh, I'm excited. How does God protect you today? Now, it, it has everything to do with our prayer life. It applies to our prayer life. And I think the way we pray often depends on how we think, how our brain works. I don't know if you've heard this before uh, or not, but some people are left brain dominant and some people are right brain dominant. And the left side of your brain has certain functions that it does. It, it does things, uh, helps you do things logically, sequentially. Um, it, it helps you um, think through things. The people that are, are really dominant left brain thinkers are the math and science people. The uh, accountants, the analysts, the engineers. I am left brain dominant. You knew that already though, right? Uh, any other left brainers out there? Just to show of hands, who's kind of the left brainers? Okay, we like, we like that order. We like that. Now, I'm also a male. So that means I compartmentalize everything in my head. I got a folder for everything. That's how we males think. Um, amen, men? Yes. Uh, and if I don't want to think about something, then I just put that folder away and I just lock it away and I don't think about it anymore. That's how we work, right, guys? We can do that. Yes. Okay, now, how do you suppose this affects my prayer life? How does this apply to my own personal prayer life as being a left brain dominant male? How do I pray? I pray logically, sequentially, and compartmentally. And some of you might be thinking, well, that's, I can't even fathom that. Well, I'll get to you in a minute. <laughs> But this is how I pray because this is how I think and this is who I am. This is the way God has wired me and made me. See, when I pray, I, I heard this a long time ago and I love it. It's my favorite way to pray. I use an acronym. The acronym is ACTS, A-C-T-S, one of the books in the Bible. But the ACTS, the letters stand for adoration, praising God, confession, the time of confession where we ask God for forgiveness, then there's T, thanksgiving, we thank God for everything, and then S is supplication, where we intercede for others. This is how I pray. I pray adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, and I pray in that order every single time. I'm not changing that order, because that's the order that works for me. And uh, my logic is, I, this is a logical prayer for me, a logical way to pray, because when I pray this way, you have to understand what's happening, is I'm spending half of my prayer time upward. I'm praying adoration, praising God, and thanking God. I'm, I'm in my vertical relationship with God, half of my prayer time. The other part of my prayer time is confession. That's my inward time, where I am... I am getting intimate with God, with God but in, in, even with myself, confessing what I have done um, that is not pleasing to God, and, and forgiving, asking for forgiveness, but also forgiving myself, working on my own stuff. And then, and then I pray supplication. I intercede for others. I pray for, 
for everyone that uh, asks for prayer, asks me to pray for them. I pray for you all because you're my brothers and sisters in Christ, you're my family, and so we, we learn to pray for one another. But that's only a, a quarter of my prayer time. So this is how I pray. This is, this is my way of praying. This is Acts, because God made me a left brain uh, male. And um, I know that, um, that right brain people pray differently. I understand that completely. Uh, who's a right brain person? You're a, you're a musician, probably. You're a teacher. You're a writer. Uh, you, you, the right side of your brain is what joins all the information together. It's the creative side of the way. And if you're a right, any right brainers in the, in the house today? Oh, look at all you right brainers. Okay, fabulous. You pray all over the place, don't you? You got no order. There's no order. You're all over. And if you're a woman, then you're really creative in prayer. Let me tell you. Because um, you got a spaghetti brain. That's what we know. Your, your, your thoughts are all intertwined, aren't they, up there? That spaghetti brain of yours. That beautiful spaghetti brain. But it's also like a computer because it's got 29 tabs open. And even when you go to sleep, those 29 tabs are still up. And if you try to put one away, just one more pops up, doesn't it? Ladies, am I right in this? Yes, yes. But, it's, but it's, it's how you are. It's the way God wired you, and it's beautiful, and it's creative, and it's led by the Spirit. So we all pray differently, um, but that's not the focus here, because whether you're left brain or right brain, here's what I wonder. When you pray, the content of your prayer, how much of your prayer time is spent on physical protection from God? How much of your prayer life are you asking God for safety, for healing, for blessings? And if I had to venture a guess, because I'm a numbers guy, I'd throw it out and I'd say 90% of people's prayer time, the content of their prayer, is for physical things, safety, healing, blessings. In fact, my proof in that is if you open up your program and you look at the prayer list that we publish each week and you run down the list, which I did, yeah, almost all of them are asking for physical healing, some kind of physical protection from God. There's a couple that aren't. It's just the generic praying for our missionaries that we support in Africa and in, uh, in the state of Michigan. So that's my proof, if you will, but is that all we should be praying for? Is there, is there more that we should be praying for? Should the majority of our prayers be about physical protection, or should it be about something else? And I believe this message on God's protection will answer that question. And hopefully, prayerfully, it will change your prayer life forever. That's what I mean by a message that can change your prayer life. So, with all that being said... Let's pray. Father, today we love you. We praise your name. You are holy and awesome and wonderful. And we sang all about you and we gave our offering to you because we know that you want our first fruits. You want our, first, you want our best of, of everything, Lord. And we took communion remembering how you sent your son Jesus to die for us. And Lord, we're now here at the point of the message where we need a word from you. We need a truth from you. We need our eyes open and our ears to hear. Father, and I pray that we will have that for us. I thank you, Lord, that you gave us your word, that your word has 
has really overcome all kinds of obstacles. So we actually have the original words from those that wrote it, the, the men who were moved by your Holy Spirit to write what we see today in the, in the truth that we have, the inerrancy of your word. Father, I thank you for that. It is awesome, and I pray today, Lord, for us to have ears to hear and eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we saw in uh, the book of Exodus, we're in the book of Exodus, teaching you verse by verse here, and the first uh, three plagues of the book of Exodus, uh, in the ten plagues that happened in, in Egypt. And in the first three plagues, uh, it really revealed God's power, didn't it? God's power. He's sovereign. He has supreme power over everything. And in a plague is the word strike. And um, I use the word punch because really what God was doing with these ten plagues is he was punching out all of the false gods that Egypt worshipped. I gave you, a, there was a chart in the back. I'll make another copy of it uh, for uh, many of you took it. But it's kind of like, there's like something like 20 plus false gods that the Egyptians worshipped. And God was like, nope, I am the one true God. I am the supreme God. I am all powerful. And so that's what God did in the first three plagues. Now today we're going to look at plagues four through nine. In some Sundays we only get through a few verses. Today we're going to fly through two and a half chapters of Exodus. And if you read Exodus, you would enjoy that pun I just gave you because the fourth plague is about flies. We're flying through two and a half chapters today. Now, I'm going to read quickly, and I'm just going to have a couple verses for each plague, if, if not uh, just one for each one, because I like to get to the point of, of talking again about prayer and, and understanding how, we're, how, we, how we should pray based on God's protection. Um, most importantly, um, you're going to see in these plagues what Scripture reveals to us, why I'm talking about prayer and, and what we should pray for in terms of God's protection, is because God protected the Israelites. He protected them physically and materially. He blessed them based on their obedience. So we're going to see, first of all, the fourth plague of flies. And the verse that I have for you is verse 22 of Exodus 8. So if you want a Bible, there's blue Bibles in front on a chair. You can take that with you. It's yours free. We have someone who loves to donate Bibles and, and purchases those, those for us. And, well, and so we have lots of Bibles. Take a Bible if you'd like one. Open it up if you would. If you want to look at the screen, you can. It says, On the day that I will set apart the land of Goshen, that's where the Israelites lived. They were shepherds, really, when they first came to Egypt. And the pharaohs don't like shepherds. They're smelly. So they didn't like them. So they said, you guys go live over there in Goshen. And that's where they, they started, and that's where they, they stayed. And they grew from, remember, 70 people when when Joseph and his brothers were there, into the nation of almost to about two and a half million people. I mean, a massive amount of growth over the course of 400 years. But here it is, on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell, so no swarms of flies will be there, and you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. And he says, I'm going to divide my uh, loyalty between you Egyptians and my people, the Israelites. So flies happened in Egypt because that's what God was striking. And, and um, there was, there's lots of uh, meaning in that chart that I had before showed you what God he was striking out. But it didn't happen in Goshen. 
Pharaoh pleads with Moses, please stop, these flies are just driving me nuts, they're, they're ruining everything in our land. And so Moses would ask God, and God would stop it. God would cause the flies to go away. And then Pharaoh's heart was still hardened. Pharaoh's heart was still hardened. Then we come to the fifth plague. The fifth plague is on the livestock. Exodus 9. The livestock that were in the field, the horses and the donkeys and the camels and the herds and all the flocks, it says in verse 4 that they were struck. Uh, uh, they died. They had some kind of, I'm sure the Egyptians thought, some kind of strange disease came upon them, and they all died all at once. Wow, that's an amazing disease. Or it's God, right? I mean, it's, it's what you believe. What the Lord made a distinction between the, the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. Do you see God's protection? He's really protecting the Israelites. But he's He's plaguing the Egyptians. God's protecting them. Almost all of the livestock died. Pharaoh pleads with Moses once again to make it stop. Moses asks God. God stops it. However, Pharaoh's heart is hardened even more. The sixth plague of boils, sores on the skin. Exodus 9, Moses takes some ashes, ashes from from the fire, and he throws it up in the air in the sight of Pharaoh, and that dust turns basically and just sort of spreads out over Egypt, and boils break out on every Egyptian, but not the Israelites. Yet Pharaoh's heart was still hardened. The seventh plague is hail. God reminds them, though, before he he puts the seventh plague on them, of this purpose. Why is he doing this to the Egyptians? Why is he ruining their lives and their, and their livelihood? He says this in Exodus 9.16. It's important for us to be reminded again. Verse 16, he says, For this purpose I have raised you up, kind of speaking to Pharaoh, to show you my power so my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. And here I am, what, 3,400 years later, proclaiming this to all the nations. Right now, we're out uh, in, in you know, streaming on uh, anybody in the world could hear this message. So this is happening. God is, is, is using this story, this example, in, in raising up Pharaoh for his purpose so his name will be proclaimed. And the worst hailstorm perhaps ever in the world hit Egypt. Now, my aunt used to live in Texas, and she told us that in Texas there's hailstorms the size of softballs. Anybody from Texas or down south, anybody ever experienced hail the size of softballs? Yeah. And if, you're not, if you don't park your car in a garage, it's totaled. Like the dents in the car will ruin. I mean, this is, and you can imagine what would happen to everything else that, uh, that's left outside. They didn't have garages, I don't think, in Egypt at this time. <laughs> But in verse 26, it says, Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, there was no hail. God protected Israel. In the eighth plague come the locusts. Now, I was watching uh, the latest Jurassic Park movie, and there were those locusts in there that were just totally devouring. And that was kind of a cool representation of maybe what, um, maybe not that big, those things were really 
really big. But uh, verse 10, uh, or excuse me, verse 5 of chapter 10, it says those locusts covered the face of the land. No one could see the land. And they will eat everything that was left over after the hail came. And they will eat all the trees that grow in the field. And locusts will be everywhere you go. And even Pharaoh's servants, the scripture says, complained. Come on, Pharaoh, let these people go. This is, they're, this, they're ruining our place. Egypt is done. And you would think after eight plagues, Pharaoh would have a change of heart. I mean, come on. But his heart doesn't change. God is fortifying his heart. And he's still hardened. And then the ninth plague comes, darkness. Chapter 10, verse 22, Moses stretches out his hand towards heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land. They couldn't even, they couldn't even see their hand. That was how dark it was for three days. But over in Goshen, there was light everywhere. They could see just fine. In all of these plagues, all of these plagues thus far reveal God's purpose. He is protecting his chosen people because he loves them. And here's what we need to understand. Here's why we talk about, or what we should understand from this story, from this thing that really happened. God's physical protection of the Israelites was unique. His physical protection of these Israelites was unique. And when you read the Bible, specifically when you read the Old Testament, you see that they had a special promise that was just for them. It was a conditional promise. And that's important to understand. The Old Testament is a conditional promise just for the Israelites. He said to them, if you glorify my name by obeying my commands, I will physically protect you, Israelites. I will materially bless you. The proof of this is the summary that Moses gives in Deuteronomy 28. In Deuteronomy 28, I'm going to give you four verses there. This is the summary of it. This is the Old Testament um, promise for the Israelite people. He says, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, if you're careful to obey my commandments that I give you, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. In verse 2, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And what will happen when people try to come and take what you have? When enemies come and try to attack you? Verse 7, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and they will flee seven ways. I love it. That's what he promised to the Israelites. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity. Verse 11. In the fruit of your womb, you will have children. In the fruit of your livestock, they will grow. And in the fruit of your ground within the land, the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. If you obey my commands, you will be blessed materially, physically. You have all kinds of blessings. But in contrast, if we jump down to verse 15, 
He says, if you don't obey the voice of, my, of the Lord your God, Moses is telling them, and if you're not careful to obey all these commandments, and how many commandments did Moses give them? 613. Okay? Yes, there's the big ten. We all know about the big ten. All right? But there's 613 total commands that they had to obey. If you obey them all, then all, if, it, it, then all these things will be good to, that will happen to you. But if you don't obey them, then curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And when you read the Old Testament, do we not see this played out for the Israelites? I mean, the focus of the Old Testament is directly on the Israelite people, which we call the Jewish people today. The Israelites, it's all about them in the Old Testament. They are God's chosen people. And when I think the book of Judges is the best example of the roller coaster that they were on. When they obeyed God, God blessed them. When they didn't obey God, then the enemies would come in and overtake them. I mean, it was totally conditional. In fact, one of my favorite stories, I love telling this story in the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter 6. God protected his people. Elisha the prophet. Elisha the prophet and his uh, servant. Now remember, I told you that uh, Elisha and Elijah uh, sound the same in English, but of course in uh, Hebrew they don't, right? Eliyahu is how you pronounce uh, Elijah and then Elisha or Elisha is what we're talking about now. Now, he was a prophet of God. That means he was a mouthpiece for God. He told the people what God would say. And every time the Syrians, who are the enemies of Israel, every time the Syrians would come against or, or have a plan to attack Israel, uh, God would tell Elisha, and Elisha would tell the king, and they would be protected. And the Syrian king was getting really mad. Like, he was really upset, and he's like, calling all his advisors, is, how is this happening? It's like they're listening to what I'm saying, telling my, my generals. And he says, well, it's Elisha. Elisha knows, because he hears from God. And so the king of Syria is like, okay, I'm sending troops. Where are they? They're in Dothan. Okay, send troops over to Dothan, and we're going to take out Elisha. So here's Elisha camping in Dothan with his tent, and he's got his servant, and there's, there's probably some other um, servants there, or maybe they're just two guys, and they're in their tent, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, here comes this Syrian army, and they surround their tent. So in the middle of the night, they don't know this is happening, they're stealthily quiet, and they're, and they're all around them, and then in the morning, the servant wakes up, and he walks out of the tent, and he sees they're surrounded by Syrians, and he has to change his underwear, because he just... <laughs> got really scared. It doesn't say that in the Bible. I'm just, you know. Okay. He goes back in the tent. Verse 16. This is on the screen for you. Don't be afraid, Elisha says to his servant, because those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And the servant's like, what are you talking about? So Elisha prays, and he says, Oh, Lord, Please open his eyes so he can see what I see. And the Lord opened his eyes of these, this young servant man, and he saw, he looked out of the tent, and on the mountain there was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. An army of angels surrounded their enemy, protecting them. 
And Elisha prayed then that this, this enemy, this Syrian army, would be blinded, and they were. And then they marched this blinded army directly into Samaria where the king of Israel was and all of the, their army. And the king of Israel, he got so excited, he's like jumping up and down. He's like, all right, good job. Can I kill him now? Can I, can I kill him now? And Elisha's like, no, that's your plan. God's got a better one. And then he says this. This is crazy. You're going to laugh at this. But God says in verse 23, um, prepare a feast for these guys. And he did. He prepared a meal for them. And they ate and they drank and then he sent them away and they went back to the king of Syria. And guess what happened? The Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. His plan was to kill them. If he would have killed them, then the Syrian army would have never stopped trying to get revenge. But he sends them back with full bellies. And God worked that out, his plan, and they never came back. Praise God. He protected the Israelites. And God's protection over the Israelites was truly unique. And I say that word because here's the mistake that some Christians make today. And I don't want you to make this mistake. I don't want you to make this mistake. Some Christians today believe God will protect them the way he protected the Israelites. And they apply these Old Testament verses to themselves. If I obey God's commands, if I'm a good Christian, and I do all the things that God tells me to do, he will bless me with physical protection and material blessings. And you know what this leads to? It leads to what we see in the world today, these health, wealth, and prosperity teachings that are going on in, all, in many churches all around the world today and on television. Mostly on television, to be honest with you, because that's what people want to hear. They want to hear that all these blessings are coming to them right now, today. But this was a unique promise of protection for the Israelites, and it's called the Old Covenant. It's called the Old Covenant. It was conditional based on their obedience. God promised these Israelites he would protect them physically and he would prosper them, and he did. But the Old Covenant was not forever. And Moses, who introduced it, because sometimes it's called the Mosaic Covenant, he knew it wasn't forever. Jeremiah knew it wasn't forever. Ezekiel knew it wasn't forever because they spoke about it and wrote about it. They talked about a new covenant that would come. And it came when, when a guy showed up. What's that guy's name? Jesus. Jesus, that's right. He came and established the new covenant, which he explained during the first communion. Yeah, what's it say in Luke twenty two twenty? 20? This cup. Boys, that's poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And when you read Hebrews, specifically in chapter 8, you'll see that it says the first covenant was not faultless. There would be a need for a second one. The new covenant is better than the old one. Why is the new covenant better than the old covenant? Because we're no longer under those 613 conditional commands. We're under grace. Grace. We're saved by grace. Christ became that once-for-all sacrifice. Salvation is available to you as a free gift from God's grace. And when you 
believe, when you express and show your faith, you confirm what God has already done in you. And when you love one another, church, you prove that you are a disciple of Jesus. We're saved solely by God's grace and supremely for His glory. Amen? Yes. For all the nations to see. The new covenant is for all the nations, not just one nation like it was in the Old Testament. When you open up the Bible to Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10, you see a glimpse of what heaven looks like. It says this, I look, John wrote, behold, a great multitude no one could number from every nation, from every tribe, from all peoples and all languages, they will stand before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. They will cry out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Every tribe, every nation is in heaven because of the new covenant. That's the beauty of the promise of the new covenant. We're not under the um, conditional promises of the old covenant. We don't want to be under those. I understand. It sounds great and it feels great to have physical protection right now on earth. I get that. But what Jesus gave us is a better covenant because it's unconditional love. It's unconditional and it's spiritual protection. Now, please understand, I'm not suggesting to you that God doesn't physically protect us today. I know he does. I know he blesses us. I think back to all those things, those really stupid things I did. And, and how many times that, that I should have gotten in big trouble, <laughs> you know? And how many things I have no idea that God protected me from. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. They're in your, in your story as well. But what I'm telling you is, that our physical protection is not a conditional promise like it was for the Israelites. Because if it was still conditional, and I feel so bad and so sad for those Christians that are under the teachings of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel because what they're hearing every Sunday in church and what they're listening to on YouTube and all the different places is they're hearing that if I do this, God will do this for me. And that's wrong. You've got to understand, that's wrong. Because it's not, you, gotta, you know this to be wrong. Because if it was still conditional, how do you explain faithful Christians who live for God with purpose, I mean, genuine Christians, that lose their jobs, lose their homes, lose their loved ones. Faithful Christians still have car accidents, get cancer, and face tragedy, don't they? That's right. So this promise that was unique for the Israelites is not the promise we have today. He doesn't promise that for us. And I understand by saying this, somebody that's been watching maybe on social media, or, or they might have turned me off. All right, I get that. Okay, they, they may prefer to, to turn over to, to the Creflo Dollars and the Kenneth Copelands and the T.D. Jakes and the Joel Osteens and hear those prosperity teachings so that they can feel good about what God has for them. But, and, and honestly, I sincerely hope this isn't your last Sunday here at Life and Purpose. <laughs> I hope you have ears for truth. Because what God promises in the new covenant is better. 
It's spiritual protection. And I just want to tell you what spiritual protection looks like. I want you to know what that feels like and, know, and what it's like. In 2 Timothy 1.12, Paul tells Timothy, this is why I suffer as I do. Paul suffered physically. He says, I'm, I'm not ashamed. I know what I have believed. I'm convinced that God is able to guard again until that day that I'm called to be with him what he has entrusted to me. So what does God protect? His gospel message. God protects the message. The message that has gone out everywhere. Paul traveled around the Mediterranean Sea planting churches and preaching the gospel to anyone that would listen. He would go into the marketplace he would build his tents because he was bivocational, and he would tell anyone who would listen about Jesus. And he did that, and the gospel spread like wildfire. That's what we see in the New Testament. God protects the gospel message. Secondly, in Romans 8, 38 and 39, I know you love this verse, for I am sure, Paul tells the believers in Rome, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God protects your salvation. What can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? If you're saved, truly saved, that's it. It's final. It's done. You are His forever. And that's because of the new covenant. God protects your spirit. In Romans 6, 6, we see that your old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. And we are no longer enslaved to our sin. Verse 18, we've been set free from sin and we're made slaves to righteousness. So what does God do for you? He protects your holiness. He protects your holiness. He wants you to be more holy. Holiness is your new master. You're a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. You don't have to fall into the sin patterns that you had before because you're a new creation and you can overcome them because you have the Holy Spirit in you. That's spiritual protection, isn't it? That makes you more holy. Every day you renew your mind. He's transforming you to be more like himself. And he is perfectly holy. Amen? Philippians 4, this one probably sums it up best, verse 6 and 7. Paul tells them in Philippi, don't be anxious about anything. (laughs) Some of you laugh at that, don't you? Because you're anxious about a lot of things. But he says, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And what will happen when you do this, when you pray this way? The peace of God, which goes beyond all understanding, will guard, protect your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God wants to protect your heart and mind. This confirms that New Covenant Christians prayed mainly for spiritual protection. But don't forget, they lived in a different kind of culture. By being a Christian, by getting baptized, which identified them with Christianity, they basically put a bullseye on themselves. They could be killed for being a Christian. So they could be anxious about their physical life on earth. They were probably anxious about not having enough money, like sometimes we are. 
They were anxious about being sick and, and, and having disease. They were anxious about a lot of physical things. But what is their prayer? What is Paul saying when you pray about all these things that make you anxious? What happens when you pray? By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let God know. And what is the answer? God will guard your hearts and minds. God will give you a peace. You ever known someone that has cancer and has peace? That only comes from God. God's protecting them. That's the only way that happens. Finally, in Ephesians 6, put on the full armor of God, the whole armor, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil is always trying to attack your spirit. You need protection. So God says, here's your protection. Put on the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put on the shoes of peace. Hold the shield of faith. Put on the helmet of salvation and carry the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And he says, pray at all times in the Spirit with prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with perseverance. Make supplication for all the saints and for me. How did, I, how did Paul ask for prayer? How did he want them? Did he say, pray that I don't get hurt, that I don't stub my toe? Pray that no one tries to kill me? No, he said, pray that I may boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel because I'm an ambassador in chains and I want to declare God's word boldly. That's what he prayed for. So God protects you from the devil. He gives you the ability to withstand the evil one, to escape those constant temptations. Two places in the New Testament we see the devil fills a person's heart. John 13, 2, he tells uh, in, the, in the upper room, Jesus points out that the devil fills the heart of Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. In Acts 5, after the Holy Spirit came, a couple named Ananias and Sapphira came in and, and lied to the church and said, we sold our land and we gave, this is all we got for it. But they lied, they held back some for themselves. And Peter says, why did you let the devil fill your spirit? Why did you let him do that? So how do we not let that happen to us? We protect ourselves with God's armor. We put on the full armor of God. So here's my challenge for all of us going forward. When you read the New Testament, take note of how those Christians prayed. You'll start to see that they didn't pray just for physical protection, like we tend to pray for. Did they pray for physical? Yeah, of course they did. They wanted their loved ones to be healed just as much as you do. But they prayed more for spiritual protection because they understood the new covenant. God promises to protect you spiritually. He protects your desire to share his message. He protects your salvation. He protects your holiness, your heart and your mind. And he protects your spirit from the evil one. And these are better promises than a little bit of health and wealth and prosperity for the short time we're in on this earth. Because we are a spirit made for eternity. And so here's the thing, just to give you a way or an understanding of how I pray for someone when I'm asked to pray for their physical healing. And this is just coming from a left brain guy. But I, I pray that they're spiritually healed first. Because when we look at the life of Jesus, we see that 
Yeah, he gave them some physical stuff. He gave them a meal. He met their physical need. But he was always coming back with that spiritual lesson. Because he wanted them to be spiritually healed. Think about every encounter Jesus had with people. It was about the spiritual. So I pray that a person will be spiritually healed, that they'll know God's grace and mercy. Then I pray that their present suffering, because if you're, if you got some kind of ailment, whatever it is, I pray that while you're suffering, God will teach you whatever it is he's trying to teach you. And it's probably perseverance and character and hope, just like Romans tells us. That's probably what God wants to teach you when you're suffering in your trial. And I pray that they will trust God more through their trial. They will have joy, as James says, and then he will make them more holy. I pray that if God chooses to physically heal them, they'll use that experience to glorify God. They'll tell everybody that God healed them. That's what I want, and that's what I pray for. And I pray God's peace will flood their heart and mind, and I pray that they will wear that suit of armor that God has given us in the Word in Ephesians 6. Because honestly... The only way we can fight the evil one is with truth. And that truth is found in God's word. Hey, that's how Jesus did it. And if it worked for Jesus, it's going to work for us too, isn't it? He fought the devil's temptations in Matthew 4 with the word of God, with correctly applying the word of God. So my prayer for physical healing is actually a prayer for spiritual healing. Because I want spiritual protection. That's what God wants for you, spiritual protection. If you read through the New Testament, I think you'll see that's how they prayed as well. So, there you have it. Will this message change your prayer life forever? You let me know. I, I sincerely hope it does. I hope our focus on prayer is on spiritual protection for those we love. Because when we pray for someone, we love them, don't we? We want to see them be healed but it's the spiritual healing that's, the, what, that's what God promises for us in the new covenant. Our team's going to come up and, and sing our song, our final song. But I pray that you will use this time to give glory to God. And as you think about this message, as you simmer in it a little bit, I pray that it will be a blessing to you. I pray that you will know that um, it's not always an easy message to preach. And the gospel is often confrontational. It's not always comfortable. But that's God working on us, working in us, to help us see the truth and to change us. Because it's not meant to just give us some information. It's meant to transform us. God is changing us always to be more like his son Jesus. Amen?